Why does this black conservative support Jason Aldean despite all the recent backlash? Let's talk about that. Instead of focusing on winning arguments, we're teaching the basic fundamentals of sales and marketing and how we can use them to win in the world of politics, teaching you how to meet people where they're at on the issues they care about. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. Well, hey there, folks. Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show, and thank you for joining us on, of course, another fun-filled episode. I am, as always, your humble host, joining you live from our BNC studios here in lovely eastern indiana and today joining us here on the program yes to talk about why this black conservative does in fact support jason aldean christian watson welcome to the brian nichols show thank you for having me i appreciate it christian thank you for joining us looking forward to uh, digging into yes the uh the controversy that, that surrounds jason aldean can i call it a controversy i don't know but before we go there uh, get there do us a favor christian introduce yourself uh to the brian nichols show audience I'm Christian Watson. I'm a content creator. I'm the spokesperson for a group called Colorist United. We're a nonprofit that believes in fighting for the principles of colorblindness in American society. I'm also someone of an amateur philosopher. I believe that we can elevate political and social discourse by paying attention to first principles and the underlying ideas that uh, constitute many of the political issues that we discuss today. And if we achieve a deeper understanding of these ideas, we may be able to work through them in a way that's actually substantial and not superficial. So that's a lot to say. You know, I'm ready to have a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, a uh, conversation we shall have. Let's kick things off. Uh, there's controversy surrounding Jason Aldean and his relatively new song. Well, let's preface this. It didn't really become a controversy when the song was first released back in May, not until July when the music video dropped, right? It's like we're going back to the MTV days when dropping music videos actually mattered for a song. Um, but yes, he, it's his brand new song, Try That in a Small Town, and uh, it was uh, riddled with controversy. Controversy, why, Christian? Give us the background. Well, uh, well, the critics of this song, and by the way, the, the criticism of this song is perhaps some of the most um, outrageous I've seen because none of it conforms with reality, but I'll get to that in a second. The critics of this song have essentially called it an anti-lynching anthem. They have said that it is a implicit dog whistle to white supremacist tendencies that go all the way back throughout American history that allege that in small towns, minorities were killed and they were attacked and they were driven out by angry white folk and that this song is an attempt to satiate their passions. But I believe that this viewpoint, this criticism, is more so of a rabid reaction born of passion and emotion as opposed to being born of a rational sentiment. Very simply, this song is talking about not just what goes down in cities, can't go down in small towns, which is what the conservative intelligentsia has been saying, which, by the way, is a fine observation, but it's deeper than that. This song is talking about the fact that in communities where you can be tightly knit, where you are in close quarters, where you can actually get to know someone for who they are, not an image of them somewhere out there in the ether, not who they're talked about as in the community, but who they are by intimate interaction, you have a stronger value system there, a stronger sense of community, and therefore a stronger bond that makes certain things almost impossible to happen. So, for example, in a lot of small towns in America, there are times where you can walk to the grocery store, and if you're a local resident there, you'll know everybody in the grocery store. <laughs> you know, that can seem that can seem pretty intrusive, but there's a very deep sentiment to that. And the fact that Human beings came into society in the first place, as the social conductors told us, because they desired cooperation. We have this social sentiment within our souls. 
And that cooperation is not based on ethnicity, not based on race. It's based on shared values. And the entire premise of the sort of Enlightenment natural law project was that these values can be elevated to the level of from the community to the level of politics. And then they can therefore be used to not only govern what is a good society, but what also is good government. But in order to have those kind of conversations, we have to understand the deeper meaning behind things like this song and what it implies. But in a world where we reduce everything to a single worldview that refuses to embrace nuance, which tends to be the sort of social justice worldview that does not recognize nuance and instead relies on implication and association to make claims as opposed to explicit <clears throat> statements, then you don't have a way to achieve the essence of a society, which is goodwilled value sharing amongst its members. Right. You don't have a way to then achieve good government. You don't have a way to then achieve every other thing that you need to understand what's going on. So really, I think the response to this song is just yet another example of what happens. And you have a society that embraces ignorance before it will embrace philosophy. And my entire goal, just generally as someone who really cares about being an intellectual inheritor of the American tradition, I say that because every American is an intellectual inheritor of our tradition, because unlike what many people in the race school say, America was built on universal values located within human nature, not built upon superficial ideas mm. located in particular areas in time, like ethnicity or lineage or bloodline. So as someone who takes that very seriously, I like to invoke that very deep historical idea into something that seems as simple as a country singer making a song, which inevitably makes an entire side of the political aisle mad. Because it's more than that. It's deeper than that. And I want us to get to a point in this nation where we can have discussions about our past. We can have discussions about these very important issues in a way that does not presume so many things, so many untested premises, which is another problem. So many people will say their argument without first considering, what does my argument presume? What has to be true in order for my argument to be true? When you get to that point, you'll be able to strengthen your worldview because you'll have a deeper understanding of it. But if you don't understand everything that your argument assumes in order to be true, you don't understand your argument. So I can go down, deep down the water rabbit hole here, but I don't want to go down too far. <laughs> but th those are my, th that's my overall thinking surrounding this topic. I know it's pretty long-winded, but that's just my thinking. No, no, th this has been a great starting off point, right? Like, just just one thing to unpack from that was was talking about as you're you're looking at the local the local environment, right? And, and and anybody who lived in a small town, I think, really relates to the scene you painted, right? You're in the grocery store, and mom and dad, you know, you're you're growing up, and and all of a sudden, dad sees someone he knows, and that it turns into a 25 minute conversation and then you go to the next aisle and oh there's you know your your mom's second grade teacher and 
you you see this continuously throughout the trip to all of a sudden what should have been a 20 minute shopping trip turns into two hours right and and that is something that it speaks to that there is this ingrained not not just culture right but also there's this this um this commonality, these common bonds, these common threads that go back in, in the local communities that really matter, right? You know, oh, I, I think back to actually one of my, my uh, history teachers I had, um, he, he taught my dad, he taught my uncle. So you know, knowing that he got to experience a Nichols before me, right? And and that kind of history that, that's there, there that that's something that I think we're losing, right? And, and I, I would love to hear your, your feedback here because as we're losing this, in my opinion, we're seeing what was the idea of a small town um, kind of go away, right? It, it's turning into this big, gray, amorphous blob, which by my conspiratorial mind, I guess, Christian, is that, is it by design, right? It, has there been an approach to destroy a lot of those smaller local communities because at the heart of those local communities, much like a family, are a lot of threads that tie not just again that the the similarities, but also those shared experiences. So, I I do think there is a subset of people in the world that are actively trying to undermine strong societal bonds between individuals. That's happening. We're seeing it with WEF. We're seeing it with their attempt to make people into perpetual renters. We're seeing it in their attempt to talk more about the human being in terms of being an editable, sort of uh, amendable thing as opposed to being a fact of nature, which human beings are. And and by the way, when human beings become an editable, amendable thing, we're no longer – our system of morals and ethics changes, shifts, because our understanding of the human being also shifts, and any sound moral thinking will – have an understanding of the human being before it proceeds on to its claims. So that's definitely happening. And that's a deeper conversation we can get into. That's definitely happening. What I think is really happening is a few things. A lot of it's organic, actually, I think. So we're seeing the rise of industrialization in the, different, in the digital era of industrialization, the rise of new industries, the rise of this powerful, almost alien of a communication behemoth called the internet that has brought so many people closer by destroying physical connections. And then, of course, this is why we're seeing the, the push for transhumanism, the sort of merger between man and machine, because we've become so surrounded and fixated upon our digital interfaces, whether it be virtual reality, whether it be smartphones, whether it be our smart TVs, our, our watches, whatever. Man in the 21st century has been more wedded to machines than man in any other previous generation which has profound implications for how we see the world, mm -hmm. for how we see ethics, for how we see community. That is absolutely, I think, the biggest thing happening here. And, you know, I'm a capitalist. I'm a free market capitalist through and through, as you are, Brian, as, I, as, I, as, I, as I'm familiar with you. But having said that, I also understand that evolutions of the economy, just like evolutions of society, will have people who get sidelined, and we'll have concepts and ideas that get sidelined. You know, stagecoaches were put out of business by the trains. Trains became obsolete really when airplanes. Well, they're not obsolete in terms of supplies. Really, most people travel by private transportation cars or by airplanes. This is the successive growth of every generation that is necessary, by the way, for humans to continue to chase our potential. 
Because all human potential is is mastering the natural world and applying your creative energy to it to produce something greater than yourself, mm-hmm. which is why the Wright brothers, in my opinion, all those kind of folks, and Nikola Tesla, talk about, talk about virtue, which is not really something to talk much about on the, on the right these days. They embody intellectual virtue because they understood that you mastered the, the natural world with creativity. They convert that into sustenance for, the, for everyone else. That's really something very valuable. But again, that comes with drawbacks. And one of the drawbacks is the dissolution of physical bonds. And, and really, I think COVID also has that, a lot to do with that as well. Mm-hmm. We can talk yeah. about what part of COVID, whether it was the virus itself, whether it was government, government response. The whole entire affair really dealt a blow to concrete communal interaction as well. So it's organic. It's deliberate. It's a mix of everything. The more important question is, how can we get it back? And I think for many people in certain parts of the country, they never lost it. I was in Wyoming for a speech earlier this year. The people in Wyoming did not have the same reaction to COVID that people in New York City did. (laughs) They didn't. Many of them had a very different worldview of COVID. They prefer dangerous freedom over peaceful slavery. And so – In my opinion, the prerequisite to getting our communities back is by simply emphasizing, yes, the internet, the digital revolution of man, all this stuff is very important. But what's more important is genuine connection, genuine connection that takes place away from the screen. But as the world becomes increasingly, increasingly digitized, that principle is going to be ever so harder to carry out. So there's really no way to engineer ourselves out of this problem other than to what I always say, model an example in your own life. I am very much a family man. I, my family comes before even my career. I'm very much in, very much devoted to the idea of becoming a public intellectual. My family comes before that ambition. And so I model what I want to see in the world in my own life and hope to be a beacon of light towards those who are lost in the darkness, so to speak, of our new cultural revolution, but that's not going to satisfy people that want a quicker change. But of course, as we understand, decentralized behavior oftentimes trickles up to become the societal sentiment of the air. Look at Bitcoin, for example. That you look at Bitcoin in 2015, who was really talking about it in, in any serious sense? Now we have an entire entire nation, South America embracing the thing (laughs) so we have to just let the course of human events play themselves out as they may while modeling the kind of behavior that we want to see in our own lives to those who are close to us that's really the only moral solution i can think of well speaking of uh, talking about moral solutions in this case it'd be going towards a race blind america first we got to pay the bills and that is by uh introducing you guys to our brand new sponsor here on the brian nickel show and that is cardio Miracle. Uh, I am a big fan of Cardio Miracle. Uh, as you know, I had their founder of uh, Cardio Miracle here on the show back a few months ago. And folks, if you're looking for something to help fuel your body with nutrients that it needs for peak performance, allowing you to push your limits to reach new heights, look no further. Whether it's you're crushing at the gym, conquering the trails, or simply chasing your daily goals, Cardio Miracle has your back with supported energy and performance and with over 53 whole food bioavailable nutrients delivered in one serving plus you have uh, my 
own testament. I love Cardio Miracle. I've been using it now for about a month and a half. I wanted to try it before I officially endorsed it. And yes, this is getting the official Brian Nichols endorsement because I'm a big uh, fan of Cardio Miracle. I've noticed at the gym specifically, my pump has been absolutely insane. So if you want to go ahead and take part in the Cardio Miracle experience as well, well, head to BrianNicholsShow.com. Go to our sponsors page right there at the very top is Cardio Miracle or, or go to Cardio Miracle uh, Cardio Miracle. .com. Either way, use code TBNS at checkout for 15% off your order. And by the way, Cardio Miracle has a 100% money back guarantee, so you can't go wrong there. One more time, CardioMiracle.com. Use code TBNS at checkout for 15% off your order. All right, Christian, let's go into C. You, you, which is, uh, and talk to us, uh, for the, yes, color, color us. There we, uh, my United. computer. Yeah. Color us United. Color there us. we go. Uh, my computer screen decided to restart. Of course, after I finished my, uh, ad read, uh, but advocating for a race blind America, this is your organization and you guys have been doing some great work, helping, uh, change the conversation when it comes to uh, race relations specifically in a very racially tense world. I lived in Philadelphia for seven years, right during the peak of the, uh, the black lives matter protests and riots. And yeah, I saw it firsthand. Things got weird. So talk to us, Christian. What what are some of the things you guys are doing and where are you having success in changing the conversation when it comes to a race relations here in America? Yeah, so Color Rush United, we're a 501c3 nonprofit, and our main goal is to educate American society and institutions on the principles of colorblindness. And so essentially, we believe that America was is foundationally, as Clarence Thomas pointed out dutifully in his brilliant concurrence to the affirmative action case a few weeks ago. That America is internally a colorblind nation. Our Constitution presupposes colorblindness. Our 14th Amendment explicitly presupposes and states colorblindness. And so we believe that our nation should follow that direction. And so we go into institutions and we contest with the support of members of those institutions the sort of policies that are contrary to colorblindness. They try to push a message that is actually divisive and goes against the institution's core values went into the Salvation Army, for example, where they were trying to push critical race theory onto their members by claiming that it is a matter of racial reconciliation, trying to cause all of them to be guilty for the past sins of some members of the Salvation Army. Uh, And we just said, this is not okay. And over 10,000 Salvationists signed our petition on our website. And we basically compelled the commissioner of all of the Salvation Army chapters in the United States of America, Kenneth Hodder, to withdraw that divisive critical race theory curriculum. We've gone to American Express and challenged their policies in which they tried to make particularly white male employees feel bad for being white and male and tried to make them subordinate to other minorities in the in the business on the basis of those minorities being minorities. I mean, we can keep going on and on. We recently, recently went into University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, the medical school, and we contested the idea that we're going to politicize and racialize medical education. And of course, the board of education, the, the, the board of trustees of, of the UNC, UNC North Carolina Chapel Hill Medical School, they, of course, voted to ban DEI in hiring and promotion. So we keep going to institutions and speaking a very simple message with the dutiful support of their members. And in doing so, we are preaching the message that basically gave rise to America as, as, as it was known, as it continues to be perfected in our current era. So we're simply trying to do our part in this sort of battle to reclaim 
victory over the race narrative, which is monopolized almost entirely by left-wing political ideals and interest. And, and tell me about the MEDS uh, framework. What is the MEDS framework, and how, how does that look in action? So MEDS is a it's it's a it is a contrary alternative to DEI, and um, and it basically stands for merit, equality of opportunity, diversity of thought, and straight talk. And so all of these planks are being put against diversity, equity, and inclusion. We believe that merit is a measure of true diversity because everyone has a different level of accomplishment and skill that would be reflected in a merit-based system. We believe that equality of opportunity is the only moral alternative to equity because equity by its very nature is the discriminatory appropriation of resources from one group to another. So it presumes collectivism and then it also presumes theft and in one single word and then tries to justify it and then in benevolence we say that it is fundamentally immoral that is un-american that is bad on so many levels that is illogical it is incoherent and therefore we want something different whereas the idea of moral equality has been around for hundreds of years and it's been time tested by different philosophers and different schools of thought and it's actually a stable idea that we can observe in nature diversity of thought Different people, by virtue of human beings being dynamic creatures, have different thoughts, and we all benefit with the clash of ideas. This is the basic premise of American society. This is the basic premise of any free society, and straight talk is simply speaking the truth where it may stand, regardless of who gets offended, and regardless of what the current political correct, politically correct narrative is of the day. Mm-hmm. That's the alternative that we pose to DEI, which, as I mentioned, presumes a bunch of bad concepts and does nothing more than pit people against each other on the basis of an old class warfare Marxian framework. All right, Christian. Well, you know, unfortunately, I just looked at the clock. We're already getting hard pressed for uh, today's episode, which means we have to go towards our final thoughts. And if you're cool, that I'll kick things off um, and I'll turn things over to you to wrap things up here. But uh, I guess my final thought for today, Christian, as you know, we're going through the conversation here, particularly about race, but also talking about local communities. It it kind of dawned on me that relationships are are so much more hyper personal and hyper individualized than we really give credit for. Um, you know, I, I don't make friends with a group of people. I don't make friends with uh, you know a, a race of people or a religion of, of a certain group of people. I, I, I am friends with individuals within respective communities of which they are likely many. Uh, you know and, and that's something right there I think speaks to why it is so important not only to to get involved in your local communities, right actually engage with your neighbors, learn what interests them beyond just the fact that they're your neighbor and you live in the same area, but also when we're talking about the uh, the, the racial conversation, right? And and the the difficulty that seems to have really stemmed over the past few years and being able to navigate that that discussion, you know, being able to understand we're talking to each other as individuals, not as members of a specific group. I mean, back when I was in kindergarten, there was one uh, African-American kid in my class named Chris, and he and I were best 
friends. And, and granted, this is in upstate New York where there, there's not really many folks of any minority status for that matter at all. So the fact that, you know, Chris being the one black kid in my entire class and frankly, in my entire kindergarten for that matter. Uh, and, you know, he's my best friend. I don't know why we're best friends because we were both the tallest kids in our class. Um, and I think that, you know, speaks to where we see each other when you're talking to each other on an individual basis as, as, as people versus I see you for what the color of your skin is. And, and again, that is such a backwards way of thinking to your point. So eloquently explained by Clarence Thomas in his uh, leading opinion there in, in the recent Supreme Court striking down affirmative action. I mean, that is the way forward. I, I think if you look at to the point you're what you're pushing over uh, at CUU with regards to meritocracy, uh, that's huge, right? Like that that shows that you've earned, and, and frankly, there's a sense of accomplishment with with knowing you've earned uh, the, the, those respective rights. But I could go on and on. That's my final thoughts for today, Christian. What do you have for us on your end? So individualism is really the only sane social philosophy, and and, and I'm talking about ethical individualism. I'll, I'll even I'll add an addendum. Individualism paired against a, a foundational moral framework. I had none of them. Individualism paired against natural law. So many of us default to the individual as our base instinct, which is great, fine. I default to the individual because in my worldview, I can't begin to make an ethical inquiry. I can't begin to make a social inquiry. I can't begin to make a moral inquiry without first understanding the nature of man and a very key component of the nature of man is that every person is an individual but that again that exists against a very broad, big broader backdrop metaphysics and a big worldview that man's contained in but we've over the past 60 or so years the schools of sociology and other contrary philosophies have incorporated worldviews which not only reject the individual but reject objective truth as a mere illusion and try to substitute that for pure materialism and other ideas that don't really give much of substance beyond emboldening a particular political movement that may arise at any given point in time. So we have to put our finger on that issue, and we have to deal with that issue as people of all political stripes. Um, and I think that if we deal with that issue, much of our social problems – Will be can be rectified, uh, but only until we address this crisis of values and crisis of worldviews that are so persistent in our political dialogue. The website is colorusunited.org. Christian Watson, thank you for joining us. If folks want to go ahead and continue the conversation, where can they go ahead and reach out to you on social media? They can find me on Twitter at Official C. Watson. They can find me on YouTube where I try to post every day. Uh, I do my best at Christian Watson Politics, and they can find me on my website at christianjwatson.com. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely, Christian. Thank you for joining us. And folks, if you enjoyed today's episode, well, you know the drill. Go ahead, give it a share when you do. Please tag yours truly at B Nichols Liberty. And by the way, if you are checking out the shirt I'm wearing today, it is our Stop Trusting Government Bureaucrat shirt. You can go ahead, grab that over at our store, uh, which is uh, proudly sponsored by Proud Libertarian. Head to briannicholsshow.com 
forward slash store or it's right there on the homepage. And when you go to the store, check out not only this shirt, but also all the other oodles of awesome swag we have over there. But just do yourself a favor. Use code TBNS at checkout for 15% off your order. And uh, by the way, yes, I mentioned Earlier in our interview, my interview with John Hewlett, the founder and CEO of Cardio Miracle. If you guys were interested in learning more about Cardio Miracle and the miracle power that is nitrix oxide, well, I will go ahead and include that link in the show notes, but also I will include it if you are joining us here on YouTube right after today's episode. So don't click off the video. It should pop up right about here in the middle of the screen. Go ahead and continue the conversation over there. And yeah, I mentioned YouTube. We are on video and podcasts as well. So for video, YouTube, Rumble, and Ben Swan's Sovereign, S-O-V-R-E-N. If uh, you're a big fan of supporting independent media, head over there. Give us uh, some love. And uh, also, if you are joining us on Sovereign, well, congratulations. You see today's episode before everybody else as a Sovereign exclusive. And if you are joining us on the more traditional uh, video uh, channels like YouTube, for example, well, do me a favor. Hit that subscribe button, hit the like button, and the little notification bell so you miss a single time we go live. And yes, as I mentioned, we are a podcast as well. So whether you listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube Music, wherever it may be, just do me a favor. Not only hit that subscribe button, but do yourself a favor, frankly. Hit download all unplayed episodes. That'll be over 750 episodes of The Brian Nichols Show. Start with episode one all the way to episode 750. We've had hundreds of guests who I promise will leave you educated, enlightened, and informed. But other than that, that's all I have for you. Again, follow me on Twitter, Facebook, at B Nichols Liberty. With that being said, Brian Nichols signing off here on The Brian Nichols Show for Christian Watson. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com.